Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday evening to you. Jason Kong here with Cooper Linton of Transitions Life Care. Good evening to you, Cooper. Happy to be here. Kind of yes. lonely in here today. It is lonely. No Nicole. She's, uh, I guess she got off and got married this week. How about that? You know what? For some reason, being married and being on your honeymoon, I'm not sure if that's a valid excuse for missing a day of work or not, but I think we should give it to her. I, I guess so. We'll avoid writing her up. And uh, in, in all seriousness, a big congratulations to Nicole. Uh, couldn't be happier for her. It's uh, a great time to celebrate, and she'll be back with us next week. Absolutely. Yeah, we've given her a week off, and man, that was that was a struggle enough. We're going to watch out. When she comes back, she's going to be all charged up. So, yeah. She'll be ready. She'll be like the Energizer Bunny of caregiving. (laughs) Well, let's dive into tonight, Cooper. Um, We're going to be talking. What we do a lot on this program that I like is that we clear up uh, concepts and sometimes uh, organizations that have a lot of misconceptions. And I can't think of, uh, well, I could probably think of a couple, but we're going to talk about one organization tonight that there's a lot of misconceptions about them. There are a lot of misconceptions. And I think it actually goes back to probably how they were formed in their original name, but things have evolved a lot. And uh, we've brought on uh, Audrey Galloway, who is the associate director, associate state director for North Carolina for AARP. And, you know, we used to think of that as the Association for Retired People, but uh, every one of them I've met, they don't look very retired to me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, a lot of our members are not retired. And that is, once we came to that realization, we said, well, we probably need a name change to reflect more of who we are and who our membership is. So, you know, with AARP, you can join them at the age of 50. Actually, you can join younger if you like, but you get full member benefits at 50. And what we know is most people between the ages of 50 and 64 are still working. They're not retired. Well, people so. are working longer and longer. Yes. Yeah. And it's changing what the concept of retirement or mm-hmm. even the concept of, of your aging process, mm-hmm. those, quote, golden years, changed a lot correct yes and most people want to remain as active for as long as they can and that includes um, staying in the field of work and um, you know being able to feel that they are actually contributing um, to their their communities and to society and um, retirement does not look like it did 50 years ago I talk to more and more people who are framing their retirement not in these ceasing to work but in changing what they do, uh, finding a new purpose, mm-hmm. uh, taking on projects or initiatives that they had always had a passion for, mm-hmm. and they feel like their later years give them the freedom to pursue. Yeah, and we used to do a program um, that was called Life Reimagined, which is now accessible completely online. And one of the things we talked about in Life Reimagined was those early years of working. You are working to buy your house and to take care of your kids and to take care of your family. You're doing the have-to job. And then after retirement, your kids have gone on, have become adults, you've got grandkids that you want to spend time with, and so now you get to do your love-to job. And you get to find your passion and work on that because it's not so much about um, achieving all of those elements that um, we think of in our 20s. Well, I think that also informs the caregiving experience because Mm -hmm. it talks about how do you fit those into that life reimagined and most of us are going to either be a caregiver or someone's going to be a caregiver for us Mm 
Uh, and frankly, a whole lot of us are going to fit into both of those categories. At some point, yeah. yeah. We're all going to be on that spectrum. So the Life Reimagined program that you referenced, you say it's now available online. It's, it's available exclusively online. We At one point, we're doing some in-person um, trainings, and uh, we found that a lot of the information that people needed um they could readily access online as opposed to coming to one of those in-person trainings. Um, but it's just looking at um, your life and um, what you imagine it to be and thinking about it a little bit differently. And there's some tools and some blog posts and some reference material that will help you um, think about your what's next in a different way. So I, I know that we've got some uh, policies and initiatives that you guys are working on that we'll get into later in the mm-hmm. show. But there's also... Other elements of AARP that while we have you here, we don't want to miss the chance to ask you about. Tell us what else is going on with AARP in North Carolina that people probably don't associate with AARP. Well, actually, there's quite a bit. Um, most people aren't. Uh, well, let's talk about what people, most people are aware of. They are aware that we are an organization um, with a membership, um, 38 million nationwide, 1.1 million here in North Carolina. Um, they are aware that the membership gets you this really nice card that you can turn around and use and get some great discounts. Um, they are aware that we have partnerships with um, insurance companies and other providers, and those providers um, have been given kind of the AARP um, endorsement that they can um sell their products to our membership because of the value of their products. But I, think, I think sometimes people are confused by that. They think you're actually selling those products. They are. In reality, you're, you're not. It's no. kind of like a good housekeeping seal of approval from AARP. Actually, that's a very good way of looking at what? it. I actually have never stated it that way, and I'm not sure that I've heard anyone state it that way. But exactly, it is. Um, these, these businesses have worked with us, and um, we've identified what our members need, and they've said, okay, well, we can provide that and there's been some negotiation and ultimately um, they kind of get that AARP stamp of approval. Um, That that can also help people who say, look, I've got some purchasing decisions to make mm -hmm. and then can be a little overwhelmed by all the options out there. And in a sense, AARP has done some vetting uh, of of certain products or services uh, to make it a little easier. um, Yes kind of help point out areas where caregivers or older adults may find value, a better value in one product or service than another. Exactly. And and options, you know, options are always a good thing. Um, <laughs> we, we like to be able to look at our situation and make choices in our best interest or in the best interest of our families. And so ARP is always about in every aspect um, options for the older adult. And that includes you know, where do you want to eat tonight? And then, you know, what kinds of support systems do you need? Well, our baby boomer population are, are pretty, well, self-determination is a, is a key identifier of that baby boomer mm-hmm. population. And mm-hmm. they're not interested in an option of one. Exactly. They, they want to know what their options are and be informed, and they'll exercise their own choices. They're pretty good at that. Yeah, and very vocal about it. <laughs> well, they should be. You yeah. know, it's it's... It's, it's part of the identity of that generation, mm-hmm. and it's also changing the way caregiving and aging services look exactly. because they're being vocal about what they want. Exactly. And, it's, you know, we're past that, that time where um, someone would age and um, they would 
the only option they had was to stay in their child or their nephew or niece's home somewhere in a room in the, towards the back of the house. And even for that person who was, at that time was not necessarily defined as a caregiver, um, they had very few options as well. They just had to um, do the best they could, and there were not a lot of resources out there to assist them in, with providing that care um, for that older adult who may have dementia or may have a terminally ill illness, um, a terminal illness, I'm sorry, um, that provides specialized care. And through evolution, we're getting to the point where not only does the person receiving the care have options, but that caregiver has options to options in terms of where can they go to get assistance and what kind of resources are actually out there available for them. Well, I should I should bring up when you talk about supporting caregivers and informing caregivers, mm-hmm. um, you guys have actually become the first uh, underwriting sponsor for the caregiver summits Yay. that uh, transitions life care mm-hmm. and transitions guiding lights um, and some other partners in our community host. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's four of those this year, and, and I think that's probably why you guys are engaged in it. Yeah, absolutely. And we, you know, we're excited to come on board in this capacity. Um, we've been um, attending these summits for a few years as, as a, you know, a, a table sponsor. Um, but the work that you all do in terms of informing the community and making sure that caregivers are aware that they are not alone and here is an opportunity for you to come and see other people who are in in similar situations and to find out what resources are actually out there in the community. Um, We feel very strongly that we have to support that effort wherever it occurs, and we are excited to be a part um, in a bigger way this year than we have been in the past. Well, thank you very much. When we come back in the next segment, I'd like for us to talk about some public policy issues that you are working on. Absolutely. We're talking with Audrey Galloway, and she's the Associate State Director of Outreach and Advocacy for AARP North Carolina, and we will get to that in just a bit. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Cooper Linton, and our guest this evening is Audrey Galloway. She is the Associate State Director of Outreach and Advocacy for the Triangle Region of AARP North Carolina. And Cooper, we've been talking all about uh, basically what AARP is and what it isn't. Uh, but just before the break, we were talking about diving into some policy issues that we need to be aware of. Well, I'm not sure everybody realizes the role that AARP actually plays in shaping legislation. Mm -hmm. Um, And they represent roughly one out of every 10 people in the state of North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have a membership, about 10% of the state is is a member of AARP. So clearly, there's some motivations that you guys have to try and shape the way the laws work in in various states. And Mm -hmm. there's a particular bill directly related to caregiving that you are promoting. Exactly. Um, We are look in North Carolina, we will be working on passage of the CARE Act. And the CARE Act stands for that C-A-R-E is Caregiver, Advise, Record, and Enable. And it is all about um, strengthening the role of caregivers 
um, when there's a patient who has been in the hospital and is being discharged from the hospital. Currently, 36 states, as well as Puerto Rico and um, the Virgin Islands, have passed the CARE Act in some form or fashion. So there are um, 14 states out there, including North Carolina, that have not passed this legislation. And it does a couple of things. Um, so let's say, Cooper, you go into the hospital and upon your admission, you, as a part of the CARE Act, get to identify someone who's going to be your caregiver. And that will be someone whom the hospital will stay in contact with. And then upon your release, the hospital will provide some very pertinent information to that caregiver. Now, does that person have to be my health care power of attorney? Uh, no, it does not. It, um, it can be whomever you designate. Um, and one thing to keep in mind is an element of the CARE Act is that when you are discharged, if there are discharge instructions, let's say related to wound care, or dispensing of medication, that person will be trained adequately by the hospital staff on how to change that wound or, or how to provide that medication. Um, sometimes in some hospitals, um, patients are released and there's very little instruction provided for the at-home care element. And that's not um, to say that hospitals aren't doing the best that they can, but sometimes individuals go home and they have no what idea as to what they need to do to maintain their care so that they are not in turn readmitted to the hospital. I think there's a couple of challenges that come up with trying to train people in the mm -hmm. hospital. One is do we have the right person identified as the caregiver, exactly. which this helps address. Mm -hmm. They said, well, we're going to talk to the patient. The, the patient's pretty sick or they wouldn't be in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And so the ability to engage that patient and have them retain information mm -hmm. is pretty challenging. Uh, and then the third component is the very setting of the hospital. No matter what the hospital does, no matter how hard they work, that training's happening in the hospital, mm -hmm. which is a different setting than that patient's home. Mm -hmm. And we really have to recognize the distinction mm -hmm. in what's available in the home, the physical layout of the home. And those are pieces that... Um, you, you It's not really reasonable to expect the hospital to understand the the design of every individual patient's house, but that caregiver that you're identifying probably does know that home. Mm -hmm. They are most likely a, a pretty intimate link mm -hmm. to that patient's home and circumstances and resources. Exactly. I mean, when you bring up a very valid point, I mean, um, changing um, a wound in the hospital when you've got a bed that moves and allows, pulls the person up is very different from changing that wound at home where you're actually going to physically have to help sit that person up and simultaneously um, cleanse that wound and, and redress it. Um, and also identifying a caregiver who will be there at discharge, who's going to be trained on your care is very different than that family member necessarily you know I think back to when my father um, was hospitalized during his illness and it was time for him to be discharged I as his daughter was half listening to the doctor and I was more thinking about I can't wait to get him home and get him settled and if I had been told you are the designated caregiver um, I probably would have been listening with a different set of ears to the instructions that were provided to us 
And with hospitals under increasing pressure to keep mm-hmm. patients out mm-hmm. upon discharge. That Lower those readmission rates. Absolutely. Yeah. Keep, that, keep those ER visits down. Keep mm-hmm. those readmission rates down. And no matter how awesome the hospital is, the hospitals don't want you in their emergency rooms. Nope. And I've never heard a patient yet go, you know, I, there's nothing I'd like better than to spend all evening in the emergency room <laughs> if possible. Mm-hmm. And so if everybody's in agreement, that's not something we want to do. Mm-hmm. How do we keep that from happening? And that caregiver is absolutely instrumental mm-hmm. in helping that patient be at home, stay at home safely, uh, and avoid that moment of caregiver crisis where you hit the easy button, you dial 911 mm-hmm. because you're afraid you're not going to do something right. Mm-hmm. And it comes down to being informed. Exactly. Um, and feeling like that someone has prepared you and that there's someone who is aware that you've been prepared to to take on whatever tasks you're going to need to take on for that aftercare at home. Um, we've got, you know, some statistics here. Um, we know that in North Carolina, about 69% um, of care recipients didn't have did not have a home visit by a healthcare professional after discharge from the hospital. That's a lot. That's a lot, um, but it's to be expected. Um, so that means that the primary care was coming from someone within the home. Um, and the question is, how adequately trained were they to provide that aftercare? I was talking with a colleague of mine who in, works in a large health system. And I said, you know, how, how much training do your um, nurse aides get? And they said, well, a minimum, a rock-bottom minimum of 12 hours a year. Wow. I said, okay, well, what about – and that's in addition to their actual formal training to become an aide. Mm-hmm. I said, well, what about your nurses? Well, they a similar amount. And I said, okay, now the caregiver that's actually going to handle this patient's care at home got how much training? The person that you're entrusting mm-hmm. to help keep this patient out of the hospital – Got what? Maybe ten minutes. Ten minutes. Fifteen minutes if everything went well. And that's at discharge. That's at discharge when they're also trying to figure out: Do we have groceries in the house, Mm -hmm. and how do I get these prescriptions filled? And and so, how are we really preparing that person to be successful? And everybody has skin in the game. Mm -hmm. The health system has skin in the game. The hospital has skin in the game. The family, the patient, absolutely, absolutely has skin in the game. Yeah, and that's one of the goals of the CARE Act is to kind of streamline that process um, and also make it a regular part of the discharge effort and the ongoing patient care effort. So if there are, are there things that um, AARP members or our listening audience can do to find out more about this act or if they want to get involved, what do they, what do, they do? Yeah, we will actually... Um, be working on this piece of legislation throughout 2017. Currently, we are working to get um, a recommendation um, into the Joint Legislative Oversight Committee on Health and Human Services, and they'll actually be meeting um, next week, and we'd like for the CARE Act to be one of their recommendations to the full legislature, legislation, legislature, I'm struggling with words this morning. It's all right. Um, that will, you know, provide um, an opportunity for that bill to be introduced and passed by both houses and subsequently signed by the governor. But it will be a major piece of legislation we'll be working on. We'll have information about it on our website at aarp.org slash nc. Uh, we'll be sending out alerts to our members via email, asking them to contact elected officials about the legislation and their support of the legislation and the need for it. Um, we'll also do um, op-eds to newspapers, and we'll 
um, ready to answer any questions um, that people or the public may have um, as to how valuable this piece of legislation will be to the caregiver. We appreciate you promoting it. And when we come back for our, our last segment, I'd like to, if we can, spend a few minutes talking about some of those other programs that AARP offers to families that they most people may not know are even there. Awesome. We'll dive into that. Our guest is Audrey Galloway. She is the Associate State Director of Outreach and Advocacy for the Triangle Region of AARP North Carolina. And we'll dive into that conversation in just a bit. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, Care and Comfort that Surrounds You, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Cooper Linton, and our guest this evening is Audrey Galloway, and she is the Associate State Director of Outreach and Advocacy for the Triangle Region of AARP North Carolina. And Cooper, there's uh, again, a lot of things that people don't know about AARP, and one of those is the amount of outreach that they do and the amount of resources available to people. Well, they, they've invested mightily over the years in creating programs that are designed to, fit, to benefit their members. Uh, and there's a couple of them specifically that I know we wanted to talk about today, Audrey. And one of them has to do with connecting caregivers in their communities. I know we were just talking about the Caregiver or the CARE Act. What is this connecting caregivers in a community? What's all that about? So connecting caregivers to communities, and we abbreviate that because we like you know acronyms, that's CC2C, <laughs> um, was a program established for the faith-based community. We know that um, a lot of times when caregivers um, need resources or they need support, they will go to um, their houses of faith or worship seeking assistance and so we launched this program i have a familiarity with that yes (laughs) absolutely and so we launched this program in those faith communities and what it does is it assesses the caregiving needs within that faith community and then the facilitator will help identify what we call care buddies and care buddies are individuals who will provide Um, some emotional and and sometimes some actual physical support to caregivers. So say, Linton, you are a caregiver um, at your house of worship and um, you've been assigned a care buddy. Your care buddy will regularly check in with you, see how you're doing, because we know one of the things that happens with caregivers is they um, sometimes become isolated. They sometimes experience, you know, depression and stress. And they're not taking their good care of themselves. And if they're not being taking care of themselves, they're not providing adequate care for the person they're providing care. So that care buddy checks in. That care buddy is aware of where your stress level is. That care buddy can come and sit with the person that you're providing care for and provide some respite care, giving you some time. That care buddy can say, hey, I'm running to the drugstore. Is there a prescription I can pick up um, for the person you're providing care for? And so the CC2C program connects those individuals to a support network, Mm -hmm. a particular person who's going to take on that role to say, I'm here for you. I know your caregiving duties. You're not alone. I'm here to support you as you go through um, this effort. I was recently speaking with a local pastor, and we were 
discussing, and I'll be playing, called a phase change that mm-hmm. we're seeing in churches. And I said, I call it a phase change because if you walk into the back of the church, mm-hmm. there's a, a change in the color of the hair in a, in a <laughs> lot of churches uh, these days, and not just churches, faith mm-hmm. communities in general, mm-hmm. uh, where you walk in, and, and we're seeing an increasing number of, of, of gray-haired folks mm-hmm. in churches, and, and, and I actually noticed a, a similar phase change in the mirror the other day. I'm seeing <laughs> a, a, bit of a, a bit of an uh, influx of gray hair. But they're having the churches, uh, the faith communities are really having changing needs mm-hmm. as they have changing congregations. And it not only affects the congregants, but it also affects the congregants' family members mm-hmm. who may or may not attend uh, the same house of worship. But you have a lot of children of parishioners that are being kind of roped into care. Mm-hmm. And they're not always prepared for it. I'm pretty sure they're never prepared for it. (laughs) (laughs) Which is probably why we have this show. Exactly. (laughs) So, among other resources. So, you know, uh, part of this is resourcing the individual within the church. Mm -hmm. Um, And also helping the church. Helping the church to help the congregants. Because you're providing, we're providing a different type of resource for the church. And when we've gone into these these communities and these these houses of faith, um, you know, the, they will say we didn't know these things. We didn't know that we could provide this kind of support mechanism for our membership. And we just go in there and we provide the model. We help set up the structure. We help connect that caregiver to a care buddy. We provide materials. A lot of ARP branded written materials um, that really kind of help you help that person um, who's in your community and in need of a support system for caregiving duties. So there's no doubt that that's one of the areas that Mm -hmm. we hear people have greater needs for. One Mm -hmm. of the other things that I'm hearing, um, not just from congregations, but really from, in general, older adults, uh, and we hear this uh, sometimes from, from our state officials, a fear that our, uh, people are preying on mm-hmm. the vulnerabilities of older adults, of, of their caregivers, because they know that people have limited time, mm-hmm. uh, limited information. And so you end up with them being taken advantage of and mm-hmm. issues of fraud. You guys have a program that addresses that as well. Exactly. We have the AARP Fraud Watch Network. Fraud Watch Network. Fraud Watch Network, yes. And All you right. can access it um online at aarp.org slash fraudwatchnetwork. And the Fraud Watch Network um, provides updates on current fraud or scams that are taking place across communities. And the information actually comes from the communities themselves. Um, It provides um, information on how to protect yourself from the latest Frauds and scams. Um, you know, one of the popular ones right now is that IRS phone call that uh, occurs every tax season. Every year uh, it comes up. Every year. And uh, we're getting smarter and better about it. We're, more people are being informed about it so that um, not as many people are being taken advantage of, but it still happens. And there in North Carolina, there's not a single mechanism for reporting fraud. You can contact your sheriff's office and they can tell you about some of the fraud and scams that are taking place in the community. Um, The Secretary of State's office has some information, as does the Attorney General's office, but there's not a singular 
um, reporting mechanism, and ARP is working to assist with that through the Fraud Watch Network, um, helping people identify fraud, helping them protect themselves, protect their families, particularly protecting older adults, um, because they are um, the most vulnerable, um, and that is who a lot of fraudsters and scammers target. Um, one, because you know they'll be the ones who'll answer the phone because they're home. Right. Um, to Most because, folks that are working aren't home during the day, right, they're so not they're, home they're so easy to find, they're easy to access. And they may not be as aware of um, those opportunities to be scammed that, um, you know, a 20-year-old who spends a lot of time on the internet is aware um, because they've read it and they've seen it. But the 80-year-old who spends their time at home in a a caregiving situation, they may be completely unaware that um, that person calling them on the phone is not their grandchild who is in jail and needs, you know, $100 to be wired to them. So um, we're trying to provide that information, that easy access of information through our Fraud Watch Network. So we come out to communities and we do presentations on current frauds. We provide statistics. Uh, we teach people how to protect themselves, the do's and don'ts of being um, a victim of fraud. And we uh, we just try to make sure that everyone's educated because we're in this time now where we have to protect ourselves from these scammers. Well, we hate to have to think that way, but the we, reality correct. is there, there has to be a dose of skepticism mm-hmm. and caution mm-hmm. um, when we realize that we have a vulnerable population and caregivers are often in the role of not only taking care of their physical needs, but handling the financial needs. And they really are protecting their mm-hmm. loved one, uh, particularly if they're handling the household Mm-hmm. The, the household business, if you will. Where can people find out more about that? You referenced this earlier, but where can people find out more about that fraud watch? I want to be sure folks have that information. Sure. The website is aarp.org slash network, all one word. And if they go to that AARP website, can they also find the other programs that we've mentioned today, but some additional ones? Absolutely. Um, every program that AARP offers is available via the website. You can find out information related to those programs, and that's aarp.org. Excellent. Audrey Galloway, Associate State Director of Outreach and Advocacy for the Triangle Region of AARP North Carolina. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Again, those uh, URLs, if you're interested, aarp.org slash nc. And if you uh, wanted to uh, browse the Fraud Watch area, you can go to aarp.org slash Fraud Watch Network. A quick break and back. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday evening to you. Jason Kong here alongside Cooper Linton. Nicole Bruno is uh, is off tonight. We've given her the evening off to go and enjoy her honeymoon. Well, Cooper, you've brought in another guest for us this evening. Who do we have here in the studio? Uh, I am privileged this evening, actually, to have a guest with us, Betsy Barton, who is with Transitions Life Care. So I don't often get to interview someone who is in the same organization that I'm employed by, which is a real privilege. Uh, Betsy is a hospice and palliative care educator, uh, but has a very diverse background. And we're going to tap that background a little bit this evening 
because she and I had an interesting conversation this past week about we just don't get out of this world the way that we used to. Betsy, what, where did, how did that conversation get going? Well, you know, I think uh, we all tend to just be where we are, right? And not think about, well, how did things used to be or something like that. And so I always like to have this conversation uh, in the context of a little bit of that. Like if you think about 100 years ago, people died of... What did we die of 100 years ago? Infection. Accidents. Infections. Yeah. Infections. Like the literally flu. 100 years ago, the flu right, pandemic right. And, and childbirth. Those were the three top causes of death 100 years ago. Now, what are we looking at? It's really different. We're looking at chronic illnesses like COPD, chronic obstru- obstructive pulmonary disease, or chronic heart failure, or cancer, which is now transitioning to a chronic not- illness. Right. It's not a deadly disease anymore. A lot of time it's a chronic illness. So then a lot of times people have not just one of those, but a couple of throw in diabetes, dementia. So, you know, what what calls to when I think about that, I think about this Wizard of Id cartoon that where the uh, the guy goes to the wizard and says, hey, uh, do you have something that stops the aging process? And the, the guy, the wizard goes, yeah, sure. What kind of illness would you like? So, (laughs) you know, because we're all born. Sick, but true. Sick, but true. We're all born. We all know, as there's a great book by this title, we we know how this ends. We're all born. We're all going to die at some point. So the thing to me is, well, when we know that, how can we put that on the table and look at it a little bit? Think about it and figure out what is it that I want? You know, when a woman's having a baby... Uh, a lot of times people will do a birth plan, mm-hmm. right? And they say, I'm going to have a natural childbirth and I want to be surrounded by beautiful music and all of my friends and I don't want any medication. And then when the time comes, they're like, give me the epidural. I changed my mind. Right. But we have a plan. Right. We might not follow the plan and we can change the plan at any moment, but we have a plan. Now look at the other end of life. We don't got a plan. We don't want to think about this. We don't want to talk about it. We don't even say when I die. Think about it. Listen to people when you know when you're walking around. If I die, exactly. They say, "Well, Mm. if I die, like really, if you die, yeah, the odds are pretty solid that you're not going to get out of here alive." Pretty much. I don't mean the radio studio. I think we're good about getting out of the radio studio (laughs) this evening alive. I just want to be clear. I didn't want you to get spooked. Thank you. Yeah. So we had an interesting conversation about a card game. And that kind of threw me for a second. We were talking, you, you mentioned a card game to talk about what do I want, not if, but when I die or how what happens before I die. And I need to better understand what you're talking about there. Can you kind of walk us through this card game? And will you hold the, uh, the cards up to the microphone so that everybody out there can see? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you a little bit about this. So... As we know, there's a wonderful uh, research institution, medical institution, kind of close to us at Duke. Also has uh, a pretty good ba- ba- basketball team. Yeah. Also has a pretty good basketball team. So a researcher there named Karen Steinhauser uh, developed, did a bunch of research about what's important to people as they face the end of life. And I don't mean like I'm 40 years old and in 40 years I'm going to die. I mean like, okay, we're getting down to the wire here. We're looking at months or months to weeks, you know, being alive. 
And uh, so she did some research. She asked 1,500 people, hey, what's the most important thing to you? That's a lot of people. Not just a survey monkey, but, you know, a, a qualitative research, really talking to people and saying, when it really comes down to it, when push comes to shoves, what's important to you? So she did this research, and some brilliant person who I don't even know who it is created a deck of cards based on that research, saying, okay, when, when we come down to it, here's what's usually most important to people. And so what this game is, which is called the Go Wish card game. Not Go Fish? Go Wish. Go Wish, so gotcha. it's kind of like Go Fish, right? But it's Go Wish. And um, let me say before I go any further that this is available online for free. So anybody could go to their website, www.gowishalloneword.org, and you can play the game. I can play it so online? Somebody could look online when they're listening to this show. It's kind of like if anybody's ever, have you ever played online solitaire? Yes. Okay. Most of us have. It's the same exact thing. The card deck is in the upper left-hand corner. You click on the deck, and then you move it where you want to move it, and I'll explain that. So basically... So there's 37 cards. It's about what's important to me. So, for instance, one of them is uh, to take care of unfinished business with family and friends or uh, to trust my doctor or my personal favorite to uh, have a sense of humor. Because if I'm going down, I'm going down laughing, whatever's (laughs) the situation. You know, I want to be like my friend Barb who had dementia and she could make fun of herself even when she had dementia. She could still make fun of herself. You know, that's a gift. It is a gift. So, and sometimes we have to, in order to get the gift we want, we have to, we have to know what we want first, right? Be able to articulate. Because otherwise, when it floats by, we don't even know until it's too late. Wait, wait! I wanted that. I wanted that gift. So this deck of cards is about picking what's important, and we're all raised in different families. We have different cultural backgrounds, different religious backgrounds, different personalities. We even have different, even in the same family, we have different birth order. And so, you know, everyone else is crazy but me or whatever. We all have different <laughs> I think every person in every family feels like everybody else is crazy. Exactly. But so anyway, the point being that um, we all have our different ways of looking at this. And these cards are a way to say, this is me looking at what's important to me at the end of my life because when it comes down to it we have to know what we want first and then we have to tell people what's important to us and then we have to work to create the conditions to get what we want so these cards are kind of a first step um in a lot of ways i think they're a a good stepping stone to doing an advanced directive because Advanced directive is kind of scary, right? It has some legal language, and there's boxes to check, and I don't really know what this means. Anything that might involve lawyers sometimes gets people spooked. Right. And, you know, really, you don't even have to have a lawyer to do advanced directive, but a lot of people won't tell you that. But the cards, you know, nobody is scared if they're going to see a card that says, to be treated the way I want. Yeah, I want to be treated the way I want. That matters to me. But, you know, does it matter more than, for instance, this other card, not dying alone? That's going to be different people are going to value those things differently. So they're going to play, quote, playing this game as a way to take these 37 things and line them up. One to 37. What's my most important? It's establishing priorities out of your wishes. What What are my wishes? And then of those, how do they rank? 
Because if I don't place a value on them and place a level of importance on them, then I'm really not going to be able to articulate those to the people I love and have a plan in place that helps me get what I said I wanted. That's right. So somebody might say they want, they want to be resuscitated. You know, yeah, if my heart stops, I want you to bring me back. But uh, they also say maybe they pick a card that says, I don't want to be connected to tubes. Uh, you know, I don't want to be in an ICU connected to a ventilator. Uh, Jason's going to uh, close the segment with telling folks how to get to our website, but anticipate that you're going to hear more in the next couple months about advanced directives because we really want to have a, a stronger dialogue in our community about these these documents and how they can benefit patients, their loved ones, their families, and their caregivers. It's very important, and we will continue to have that discussion. And Betsy Barton, hospice and palliative care educator with Transitions Life Care, thank you so much for being a part of that conversation tonight. We really appreciate you joining us. Thank you. I was glad to be here. We are just about out of time. I want to remind everyone you can go to transitionslifecare.org if you want to get a hold of Betsy or, uh, again, uh, gowish.org was the uh, the website for the, uh, the very neat card game that Betsy discussed as well. You can find a, a copy of this episode on WPTF.com. Head over to the host section and look for Aging Matters, and you can find this episode along with every other episode that we've done if you want to catch up there. Uh, on behalf of Cooper Linton and the uh, the absent Nicole Bruno, who's uh, away tending to her, uh, her under-the-weather children tonight, I'm Jason Kong. Thank you so much for listening. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Have a great night.